It's that time again for the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Good evening, as always. So, Joe, we tackled the NFC last week, and this week we're here to talk about the AFC. I feel like quite a bit has happened in the last week or so, so there seems to be plenty to talk about. Quite a lot has happened in the last week, but as most of our usual listeners will know as well, we record on a Tuesday, so a lot is happening as we speak right now, and a lot's kind of coming in. One thing we do know, one thing that happened earlier today, and we're going to start off with the AFC East today, Cam Newton, cut by the Patriots. Chaz, do you want to start? Yeah, well, I mean, you were only telling us, was it last week or the week before, how assured Mac looked and the good decisions that he was making in the preseason games. It certainly seems that New England feel confident enough in leading with him unless they've got something up their sleeves and they're still making a play for a a backup quarterback somewhere. No, 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 no. Well, they might bring in a backup quarterback, but that guy will purely be a backup. Mac Jones is leading this team. Yeah, you're not bringing in someone one week before the start of the season to learn the whole playbook and, and lead your team out. But it's interesting that they cut Cam altogether and didn't keep Cam in the squad as a backup quarterback. That says something about Cam, I think, to be honest. It says something that Cam isn't going to be happy to sit behind a starter, that Cam isn't happy being a number two. But at the end of the day, if you look at Cam's play over the last two seasons, has he been anything but? Has he really deserved to be a starting quarterback? How many touchdowns did he throw last year? Was it less than the number of interceptions that he threw? It, it wasn't a great TD to interception ratio last year. Cam Newton is no longer a starter. Cam Newton isn't a backup. Cam Newton doesn't have a job right now. He will get picked up by someone, no doubt, probably. But it says a lot about him that they've let him go. But again, you say he'll get picked up by someone, probably. But you wouldn't have thought that would be in a starting position. Well, what teams right now, if we just cast our minds across the league, what teams right now have perhaps an opening at the starting quarterback position where you feel that whoever the starter is is paper thin and could get washed away. I think maybe a team like Washington football team, maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, I kind of feel he's week to week. He's definitely not the long-term starter there. He's not the long-term plan. Potentially as well with the history that Ron Riviera has, you know, but now I've just said that, maybe he gets picked up there. But, you know, how many teams actually have a quarterback who's not really set? There's not many out there. No, exactly. And one week before the season starts, it's not a lot of time for a quarterback to learn a playbook. Unless you know Ron Riviera. So look, I'm I'm literally spitballing it. I hadn't even thought about what team he might go to. But there'll be a lot of teams who are interested in picking up Cam. He was the MVP of the National Football League in, what was it, 2015 when he went to Super Bowl? I think it was 2015. When he is on form, he is a game-changing quarterback. There are teams who are going to want him in the 53-man roster. That is an absolute given. But it's huge news. It's huge news for a move like that to happen. But like I say, as a very quick, quick take, I think that says a lot about Cam Newton. It seems that he was absolutely beaten out to the job by Mac Jones. For the Patriots to go with a rookie, and we know what they like with rookies. They don't like to run with rookies. That means that Mac Jones must have defiantly beat out Cam Newton at training camp and they'd rather release him than have him as backup which means that Cam Newton won't play as backup which says something about Cam Newton. Yeah I mean it's more tough love from Belichick. What do you think New England have gained by doing that if they have at all? I mean do you think it's purely a behavioural decision? Yeah so 
it's got to be harmony because if cam newton was going to accept that and be dare i say professional about it then surely you'd want cam newton as your backup quarterback you'd have the best backup quarterback in the league he's not accepting that clearly he's not harmonious to the decision of mac jones being the starter so it was a football decision to release him because that was the better thing for the team I think that's the only way that, that you can read it. Maybe we'll see some news coming out in the coming days where they try to downplay that as a courtesy to uh, Cam Newton. But I think that's the only way that you can read it right now. Yeah. So that's the big news that's come out of New England. There's also quite a few rumours that are swirling around at the moment with regards to the Dolphins looking to possibly pick up Deshaun Watson. Well, rumours and rumours and... Uh, it sounded to me like a lot of hot air, really, with a bit of a he said, she said... And this story is getting blown up, but it's not actually come from any source at all. It's come from someone's uncle who said that someone might say this. It didn't really sound like a real news story. And for the amount of compensation that the Texans want for Deshaun Watson, which I believe is three first round picks and two second round picks. Now that's a mortgage and a half. Would any team really put that forward to a guy who's got a whole load of sex abuse scandal against him? I don't think so. Again, the rumours are suggesting that the draft collateral they send back would be provisional under the proviso that there are no legal allegations that come against Deshaun. But to your point, it seems super thin when you look at where this source has come from. I think it's been accredited to one of the teams that was involved in the Deshaun Watson talks. And he basically said that he thinks that the Dolphins are the front runners, but based on not a lot. What's the timescale on that though, Charles? Well, that's what I was thinking, because if it doesn't come to play until next year, they've already given away some of that draft capital. You can't start pulling it back at that stage. Exactly, because you've got to think that if the Texans are going to give up Deshaun Watson, they're going to give him up for the first first round pick would be the 2022 first round pick, but it's not going to be the 23rd, 24th and 25th. It's going to be the 2022 first round pick. He could definitely still be in legal wranglings all the way through 2022. So I just don't believe that story at all. I don't believe that you could structure it in a way that could work. I don't believe this Dolphin story. Do I believe that the Dolphins think they haven't got what they thought they got into her? Absolutely. I believe that is the case. A lot of rumblings from camp, from a training ground, seem to imply that the team aren't 100% sold on tour. But are we going to give up three first and two second rounds for Sean Watson? I don't think so. I just really think that this is just one of those stories made up of nothing. Yeah. Now, that the Dolphins were really impressive defensively last season. Do we think that they have enough into her to be competitive and maybe get a wild card spot in this division? Or do you think that Tua and the offense is holding them back? This is a really tough one to say because, to be honest, to look at this from a, a an absolutely purely analytical kind of point of view, there's still not a big enough sample size to really make a proper judgment on Tua. And anything that I'd really say on Tua would be more from a kind of gut feel that I've seen from snippets, that I've seen from clips. There's not enough to say, really, is he good enough to beat him in National Football League? Because what? He had, I think it was nine starts that he had last year. Let's go with nine. We'll, we'll say nine. We'll probably get told later that it's not quite nine. But if we go with nine, it's a sample size, but it's not a very big sample size. And in some of those starts, he played perfectly acceptable for a rookie quarterback. In some of them, he wasn't quite acceptable. But it's not enough for me to categorically turn around to you and say, no, I don't think Tua is good. Mm. And then from 
one maybe unsure quarterback to one that everyone's really excited about in Josh Allen and the Bills. What are your thoughts around that? Well, Josh Allen and the Bills is an interesting one because like you say, some people are excited about him. But then some people were saying that last season was the anomaly. I can see why people would say that. I can see that argument. When you look at Josh Allen's first season and where he came from in college, in college he was a mid-50s percentage passer, very inaccurate, and generally passers who are not accurate in college don't get more accurate when they come to the National Football League, they fail at the professional level. Josh Allen was generally mid-50s in his first season, but then suddenly he had this season last year when it all clicked, his accuracy was off the scale, we saw a new Josh Allen. Some people are saying that the season he's just had is the anomalous season, that the 2020 season was Josh Allen playing out of his skin and he won't reach that level again. But I think to be fair to him, you have to judge every player by their most recent performances and what we've shown you most recently. And there's no reason to believe in what we've seen from Josh Allen from the end of last season to say he won't be at the standard he was in 2020 in 2021. The defensive line hasn't got any worse. The receiving core hasn't got any worse at all. Why would Josh Allen play any worse than he was eight months ago? There's absolutely no reason to think that he would. So you've got to give him the benefit of a doubt at this stage and say Josh Allen will be good again. He may not be quite as good. He may not be at that level. But Josh Allen, in my eyes, you've got to consider him one of the five best quarterbacks going into the season. Yeah, and I think that's a fair assumption. I was watching him in the last preseason game against Green Bay and, uh, you know, he did miss one wide open pass, which Josh Allen will always be prone to do from time to time. But for the rest of it, he looked absolutely solid. Yes, it was the Bills offensive starting five versus Green Bay's backup. But, you know, his throwing was solid. His accuracy for the most part was solid. And I think you're right, you know, might not quite hit the highs of last year, but I think he'll be there or thereabouts. There's there's nothing in the eye test currently that would suggest that he's regressing back to form. So, yeah, for me, the Bills look like a, a very strong contender for the title of this division. On the evidence we have right now, Josh Allen is a top five quarterback. And until he plays like not a top five quarterback, you've got to consider him a top five quarterback. The Bills have issues elsewhere. I mean, the COVID situation within that team is concerning. It could be them, it could be the Vikings. It's one of those two teams who I believe are the worst vaccinated team in the league right now. And that will cause issues. The way that the testing works, the way that players have to be tested and have to isolate if they've come into contact with people who have COVID, it seriously prohibits players who are unvaccinated and with the number of players who are unvaccinated on the Bills team and I believe this does include Josh Allen that I would say is the bigger concern than Josh Allen's form. Although Isaiah McKenzie after being fined for not wearing his mask twice and not being vaccinated finally buckled and went and got his vaccination. He did indeed, Jazz. He did indeed. But in all due respect, I, don't, I think it's going to take a lot more than Isaiah McKenzie being vaccinated of course. to make this team being safe. Cole Beasley is a name that gets rattled around because he's been more vocal about it. But at the end of the day, Josh Allen, as far as I'm aware, is still unvaccinated. And that could well cause big issues for this team. And that's not to take a side on the whole vaccination debate. We said this from the start. We're not taking sides on whether you should or shouldn't. But just from a pure football point of view, what the implications of not being vaccinated are not being vaccinated has implications in the National Football League. So just to wrap up, Jazz, we haven't really touched on this, but the AFC East, as of right now, 
has four quarterbacks, four starting quarterbacks under the age of 25. It's a new era for the AFC East. We've seen Patriots domination for the best part of the last 20 years. We're going into a new era now. To be honest though, right now as you look at things, you've got to say the Patriots are still probably one of the top two teams in the division. The Jets are making moves in the right direction. Their starting level was such a long way back that it's probably going to take them more than a season to catch up with the rest, but they're going the right way. The Dolphins, as we mentioned earlier, Tua, he's probably not the right answer yet. Maybe he'll move on, but again, the sounds, the evidence from what we're hearing out in the league right now, it's implying that's not the case. But you've got Josh Allen, who's set there, and you've got Mac Jones, who's just blasted out Cam Newton in a training camp battle. It'll be very interesting to see what happens between Buffalo and New England, and we're going to be blessed with two games between them in the AFC East for sure. Yeah, really looking forward to that matchup. Really looking forward to them. Especially now that the Patriots, because the, the one thing we've got to bear in mind with the Patriots this year versus last year is they were missing so many defensive players and they're all coming back. So many defensive players have that coming back. So many free agents that have forked a lot of money out on. This is going to be the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and I don't want to talk big. I don't even want to say that they're going to win the AFC East, but... Don't forget, right, the Patriots got slammed last year. The Patriots were still 7-9 last year. The Patriots with basically no receivers outside of Jacoby Myers, most of their defense on COVID timeout, and they still finished 7-9. So this is a hugely enhanced Patriots side coming off a 7-9 base last year. Don't sleep on the Patriots. Yeah. Right, let's uh, swiftly move over to the AFC South then, Joe. And uh, I know we've been talking about quarterbacks quite a lot so far, but we move into a division where we've got a lot of new, presumably, starting quarterbacks. The Texans don't look like they're starting Deshaun Watson. The Colts no longer have Philip Rivers. And the Jags are not leading with Minshew anymore. So what does this new look AFC South look like to you? It's going to be an interesting division. I and mean, this is interesting for a different reason to the AFC East. The AFC East, I believe we have some strong teams there who are coming through, who are going to start being prevalent. And it's going to be very competitive at a pretty high level. The AFC South is going to be competitive, but it's going to be competitive because there's a lot of teams who are either going the wrong way, who are just starting their journey upwards, or who've been languishing near the bottom for a couple of seasons now. Like you say, the quarterback position for a lot of these teams is in flux. The Texans, we mentioned this last week, it's not hot takey, it's not even really a take to say, I don't think we're going to see Deshaun Watson playing football in 2021. I just don't think we are. So that team is going to be starting Mills probably at quarterback. And as a third round pick, you could be getting Dak Prescott, you could be getting Carl Allen. So there's a huge range that we could expect from Mills. And until we see him out there, it's hard to tell. But even when we see him out there, even when we see that, He's playing in a team which is really a depleted team. I think both you and I are expecting nothing from the Texans. That's probably right there, Charles. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even before the Deshaun Watson case, they got themselves into such a hole with the management of their team. Uh, they've they've got nothing, absolutely nothing to work with. They've got Laramie Tunsil. We've got a good left tackle. They've perhaps got a better than average running back room when you just look at the names who are in that running back room. But outside of that, there's very, very little to get excited about as a Houston Texans fan. The Houston Texans are a team that should have had an early first round pick this year. They should have had a top five 
first round pick this year and because of bad trades that have made in the last 18 months they didn't so they're in a rebuild that's delayed by a year it's really quite hard to see where the wins are coming from let's just put them to one side for a minute we don't really need to pile in on the texans it's going to be really interesting to see what trevor lawrence does at the jags we had glimpses of that potential and the hype around him in that final preseason game where he threw for two touchdowns. He really seemed to come alive in that last game. He's already shown chemistry with players like Marvin Jones, LaVisca Shainall. He's showing glimpses of what a lot of people are excited he could be about. Again, though, the Jags team isn't a team that's really the complete unit. I can't look you in the eye and say this Jags team is going to go places. I don't think no, it will. No, that's, that's still my concern. They're still the Jags. They might have a, an exciting new-looking quarterback, but they've still got the rest of that unit around him that needs work, needs improvement. And I'm not sold on Urban Meyer as well. How many times have we seen, inverted commas, legendary college coaches come to the National Football League and damage their legacies. I mean, Nick Saban, one of the greatest college coaches in history, he didn't really do it in the pro ranks. And Urban Meyer, until I see different, you kind of feel worried that the same thing is going to happen there again. Trevor Lawrence is a talent. He's undoubtedly a talent. We know that. He should have a long and glittering career, but the team isn't there yet. And so it'll be fun to watch the Jags this year. I think that we could see some great football. We could see some interesting things, but I don't think that they're really going to be bothering the top teams in the AFC. So that leaves really the Titans and the Colts. But there's only one team there that I really have any faith in, and that's the Titans, because unfortunately, in my view, the Colts are a team that's taken a step backwards from last season. Yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, unfortunately. I think the Colts looked promising in that last season that they had in 2020, but they've lost Philip Rivers. They've lost their shape uh, a little bit. I wanted to actually just focus on the Titans very briefly. I know you're going to be doing an article on this in a lot more detail in coming weeks, which you'll be able to find on playsheetpodcast.com. But just as a kind of brief overview, what's your view on Julio Jones and whether he elevates that Titans team and to what point. Yep, thank you for bringing that up, Charles. As you mentioned, I am working on an article right now talking about what Julio Jones does to this offense. And, you know, as we know, any team out there would be emboldened, would be embedded by a player like Julio Jones, by, you know, one of the leading wide receivers of his generation. But to be honest, to make this Titans team better, the offense wasn't really always the problem they had more problems on defense. Mm. The incremental gains that this team will make from Julio Jones, and I don't want to kind of preview my article kind of too much here, the incremental gains that you're getting from Julio Jones, while they will elevate this team on the offensive side of the ball, it's the defense where you can make more gains. A hundred percent, because there are a lot of people out there saying that, you know, it's going to make teams more honest on the defense. They're not going to be able to load the box against Henry. But let's be perfectly honest. He wasn't struggling when they were loading the box. You know, to your point, exactly. the offense wasn't really their problem. But where was the pass rush? You're in the AFC here, at some point, you're going to have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. If you want to go to Super Bowl and you're in the AFC, you have to beat Kansas City at some point and to beat Kansas City as a Buccaneers clearly showed at Super Bowl last year you need a pass rush and the Titans didn't have a pass rush last year if this team is going to make it over the hump and make it to the next level they need to have a pass rush yeah 
So let's swiftly move on then to the AFC West. Obviously, the Chiefs, they're the team to beat. I don't think there's any real doubt in that. But a team that I particularly like to talk about, which I'm quite excited about, is the Chargers. For me, what has really impressed me with the Chargers is we know where their problem areas were last season. It was the O-line and it was special teams. And they've done a really good job of going out there and addressing that. And I think that, I mean, the O-line in particular was the biggest issue in ensuring that Herbert stays healthy and allowing Herbert to play as good as he can. But they've brought in Lindsley from Green Bay, which kills me. Huge, a huge acquisition map. Oh, the guy is amazing. He is no doubt going to provide so much additional security for Herbert. Well, he's probably the best centre in the league. Yeah. Let's not beat around a bush. He's probably the best centre in the league. And he's got youth on his side as well. Absolutely. Not to forget as well, they've still got Bulaga, who was unfortunately kind of Another Green Bay. Yeah, exactly. But he was riddled with injury issues last season. It's still to be determined whether he struggles with injury this season. But if he doesn't, you've got Lindsley and Belaga. You're well set for an offensive line. They've picked up some additional pieces from the Lions and the Steelers in free agency. But they've really addressed that. It's going to give Herbert a lot more protection, a lot more time. And then just very quickly moving on to the special teams, Badgley missed nine field goals and three extra points for them last season. And when we talked about them last season, they were losing games by margins, you know, and... They were losing games by special teams. Exactly. The special teams cost them probably at least two games last season. Yeah, they had the worst net average punt yards in the whole of the NFL. Punt returns, they never broke more than 30 yards. They never broke more than 30 yards in punt returns? No. Is that true? Yeah. So from kickoffs... I think that they got a 74-yard return from a kickoff. But from a punt, they never broke more than 30 yards. Wow. I know. They were horrendous. Absolutely atrocious. That partially cost Anthony Lynn his job last year, really, didn't it? Because he took control of the special teams. Yeah. He didn't make them any better. (laughs) No. And he kept saying, oh, yeah, Badgley, he's in a tough spot, but he'll come round. This is just a blip. And, you know, he was bad all season. But they've brought in competition for him now in Vizcano. I'm not saying he's the answer, but at least they've got somebody to turn to if Badgley continues to be really awful. I think they've brought in a new punter from the Jets to offer competition there. They've started to address these gaps. And I think you combine that with the strong offense that the Chargers had. I think they're in a position to potentially challenge for second place in this division and and maybe a wild card spot and so you think only second place i'm not saying that i disagree with you but in the afc west are we saying kansas city when we've seen such a obvious template now how to beat this team such an obvious flaw in how this team is set up should kansas city be worried going into this season are teams going to be terrorizing their line have we got the blueprint Or are Kansas City going to come back and still be as strong as they ever were? Do you know what? That's a really good question. But I still think when uh, when Andy Reid's not afraid to whip out a passing play on fourth and inches. But remember, that was a passing play on fourth and inches when he had the offensive lineup that he had. Now, don't forget now, this is a team that's lost quite a few offensive starters. And we saw what happened when that offensive line went. All right, they've brought in a few free agents like Brown. 
But on the wide receiving corp side of things, they seem to be, dare I say, depleted. You've got Tyreek Hill as your starter. You have McCall Hardman in there, probably now as wide receiver number two, now that Sammy Watkins is gone. And beyond that, Robinson and Pringle don't probably fill you with huge amounts of inspiration. This Kansas City Chiefs team, aside from the changes it's made on offensive line, which you say would probably make it better from how it finished the season, if not how it started the season, you might say that this Kansas City Chiefs team is not as strong as the one that started 2020. Yeah, I mean, of course, you can never rule out Kelsey as a receiving option. No, no, of course, you've got Kelsey, and that goes without saying. But Kelsey and Hill, Hardman, right, you've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in there as well. There are options, but it's not maybe what it was in previous seasons. Perhaps not, but I think if you were asking me, I would still feel confident that they were topping this division. Okay. I will just say, though, that I think the division, on the whole, with the Chargers and Broncos, is stronger than it was last year. 100% agree with you on that. I'm really looking forward to watching the competition in this division. Chiefs aside, the other teams have all made a step forward. I'm very intrigued to see what the Broncos are going to do this year. They've clearly invested heavily on this defense. They've brought in some great players. I mean, Patrick Sertain too seems to be the best defensive back from what we've seen in preseason of rookies so far. They made some very astute draft picks. They've made a very bold move in going with Bridgewater over Locke. But even with that said, Locke didn't look terrible in preseason. He's been beaten out, I think, in a very close battle between him and Bridgewater. Both of those quarterbacks they have there could potentially be starters. And they're going with Bridgewater. But from what I saw with Locke, it almost looked like Locke had taken a step forward, which is what everyone was looking for. But this Broncos side looked to be a different proposition to what they were last season. Shall we end it all with the AFC North, Joe? AFC North. I'll let you start this one off, Charlie. Okay. I feel that, probably Browns aside, this feels like the division of misery to me. We've already talked about the Bengals' woes in Jamar Chase and the struggles that he's having. And of course, you've got Burrow returning from an injury. They're still the Bengals, and I think they still haven't done a good enough job in fixing that offensive line. I think they'll continue to struggle this season. The Ravens have suffered two fairly large injury situations in terms of their offensive game, losing J.K. Dobbins and their rookie wide receiver. The Steelers, they started so strong last season but we mentioned pretty early on that they were struggling in the run game. And if you can't establish the run game, it's very, very hard to win games and to keep teams honest. I haven't really seen enough improvement from them there. And if that wasn't worse, this week we saw Juju. I mean, again, you talked about it last season with the TikTok crew, but here is one week away from the start of the season. And Juju Schuster is, yeah, doing the crate challenge. What a moron. And I just think if he is your star wide receiver, he just doesn't show the maturity and the leadership that you require from a team that you want to take to the Super Bowl. Juju's just, every time he's quiet for three bumps, he has to act like an idiot. (laughs) Just just to remind you that he's an idiot. Like, seriously, right? You're you're literally a week out of a season starting and you're six foot high on milk crates for some stupid TikTok thing when you promised that you were going to stop being a TikTok idiot last season. Yeah, absolutely. And, And that's, 
I just don't think they've done enough to change their team there. And I think they will look like the second half Steelers rather than the first half Steelers this season. I'm going to part the Steelers for one second, Charles. Uh, what I want to say is, though, what we do have in the AFC North potentially is an absolutely contrasting view as things stand right now of how the 2021 draft has gone so far. If you had asked me in early April who I thought had had probably the best draft out of any NFL team, I'd have said to you the Browns. They picked up Greg Newsom at 26th overall in the first round, which is a value pick. He wasn't arguably in the elite cornerback tier, but he was probably the best of the rest, the best of the not top three names. They picked up Greg Newsom addressing a need. They picked up Jeremiah Owusu-Koromaya, the linebacker, who seems to be another do-it-all linebacker in round two. A very strong opening to this draft. Their free agency was fantastic with the defensive backs they picked up there, the needs they've addressed. If I was to pick one team that I feel has won the offseason, like I feel Tampa Bay won the offseason last year, it's the Cleveland Browns. And in the same division, if there's one team who I feel has done pretty poorly out of the 2021 draft, how it's not ended up how they wanted it to, I'd say that's the Cincinnati Bengals. So a very kind of contrasting view between those two teams. Don't sleep on the Browns. Everything seems to be trending the right way. Every news story that you could have for the Browns, OJB coming back and doing one-handed catches that look just like a Madden glitch. He's back doing that. Like I said, the draft has been brilliant. The free agency has been brilliant. Steelers, look, Charles, there was such a juxtaposition in what we saw of a season with the Steelers last year. The Steelers right now, to me, are screaming out an 8-8 team. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. But look, the Browns, I really feel, are a team who are going to be in the mix this year. And as well, the exciting thing for me about the Browns is you can see the character of the team. It is very much a Stefanski team, isn't it? He's building it around his style of play and I think they've got every chance of being a very very successful team this season and with that in mind you've got to expect a huge season really this year from Austin Hooper with how he uses the tight end it's going to be too late for a lot of people but if you are still drafting fantasy players you've got to expect a big season from Austin Hooper well, Joe, that pretty much wraps up our review of the divisions. Do you want to lead us out with the final wrap-up of the preseason games? It's been very hard to make too many judgments. A lot of teams were treating week three of preseason, the final week of preseason this year, like they would week four of preseason. And in that, I mean, they weren't starting starters. It was a lot of guys last go at football before they go and open car dealerships. So not really too much to gain from it. Look, if you're going to take stuff from the season, let's keep it simple. Let's look at the quarterbacks. Zach Wilson, they kept him in cotton wool this week for his last preseason game. He's done enough in the first two games. Trevor Lawrence came through strong in his last game. Two touchdowns, like I mentioned earlier. Through some very nice passes to LaVisca Shainall. Trevor Lawrence, if there were any people starting to get concerned about him at this level, I think he put that to sleep for the moment. Mac Jones, as we mentioned previously, has done enough. He is the starter for the Patriots. I would just say that this has been very, very interesting for the number of drafted quarterbacks who are at such a high profile and who have seemingly really answered the questions that have been asked of them. Well, Joe, 
we're really on the countdown. We've got one more episode before the start of the season. We're going to welcome on our special guest, which was one of last year's competition entrants before we kick off the season. He also happens to be a Tampa Bay fan, which is going to be unbearable for me, but it'll be good to get his opinion on things before the season kicks off. And then we're in it. Football. That's right. We're in it. Football. I can't wait. I'll be watching the first Sunday of the season with you, Charles. Can't wait for it. Bearing in mind how long COVID has kept us apart. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're going into the new season right now, we'll obviously be updating our social media, including our Twitter, Instagram, a lot more. Please get involved, retweet, subscribe, anything you can do. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll be looking forward to hearing your thoughts going into the new season. Until next week. Until next week, Charles.